Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. Who's ready to get into the Word of God? I am too. You know, I believe that falling in love changes you. I, I believe that in environments of worship, when we uh, just have our hearts leap for God, it physically impacts us. I believe that when we're entering into romance, maybe dating, maybe uh, an engagement, I believe that it physically changes us. In fact, according to very credible sources on WebMD, when you fall in love, you are dosed with serotonin, oxytocin, and dopamine in your brain, and it, in fact, relieves stress. It is a pain reliever, and it increases your mood. In fact, did you know that kissing, the act of kissing, can decrease your cholesterol? And so that, that's just a great pickup line. Hey, let me, <laughs> let me help you with your heart health, baby. Let's greet one another with a holy kiss. It changes us physically when we engage in love. And I wonder if that's why the first and greatest commandment Jesus says is to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because the act of loving God changes us. In the first five books of the Bible, there are over 600 commandments and a religious leader a teacher of the law approached Jesus in the gospel and said, what is the greatest of all of these 600 plus commandments? And Jesus, he responds in Matthew 22, verse 36. He says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, check this out. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He could have picked anything, but this is what he says is the greatest, loving God. And these words were not original to this moment. In fact, he's quoting scriptures from Deuteronomy 6. He's quoting something that's very famous in the Jewish faith. It's called the Shema. And this is a prayer that people would pray in the morning and at night before going to sleep. Let's read it in Deuteronomy 6. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm going to give you today. I love this in mind with our youth ministry being launched. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So according to the Shema and what Jesus is quoting here, the first commandment of all the commandments, the greatest commandment out of all the commandments is to love God with all of our, our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. But I, I'm a bit of a contrarian. Any contrarians in here? Raise your hand if you are. Uh, a true contrarian would not have followed me. Sorry, <laughs> gotcha. It's a safe place. Sorry to betray that. 
But I, I have to ask this question, and maybe you're like me, but when God commands us to love him, it feels a little weird. Can true love be commanded? Can genuine, authentic, sincere love be commanded? And when God commands us to love him, I'm like, this is a little strange. And in my experience, especially having a three-year-old daughter, I've realized that love cannot be commandment because I love my daughter. She is the joy of my life. I so absolutely love interacting with her. But to my great pain, she's a mama's girl. She loves mama. Mama goes to the kitchen. Nala goes to the kitchen. Mama goes to the bathroom. Nala goes to the bathroom. When mama's in the room, I don't exist at all. And I hate it. And so yesterday, we were driving to a park. And uh, uh, Nala said, can we go to this park? And I said, yeah, just you got to. And this is out of a heart of insecurity. I said, yeah, tell, tell me you love me, and I'll take you to the park, three-year-old daughter. And she goes, I don't think so. I'm like, come on! I command you to love me! I don't think so. Okay. So I say, all right, at least just tell me I'm nice. I'm a nice dad. She goes, Man, I don't think so. I'm like, come on! And Aretha leans over to me. She says, you want it too much. You got to play hard to get a little bit. You're a little too thirsty, pretty bit. I'm like, come on. And I, 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 so finally, the situation resolved. And she goes, Dad, I think you're strong. <laughs> you know what? I'll take what I can get. We went to the park. <laughs> Glory to God in the highest. <laughs> but can true love be commanded? And maybe today, you're like my daughter, Nala. You're in this environment of church. You see all these people singing. But you're like, I just don't feel that much affection towards God. I don't love him like I wish I did. I don't even love him like I want to. And I feel all this pressure in the scriptures, in faith, in my family to love God. But I just don't feel it. Have you ever felt that way? And it's like, great, God. The scripture commands us to, to love. And you can command all you want. But the feeling, the desire... My body isn't just loving you like the scripture commands me to. I love this quote by Frederick Buchner. It says, to be commanded to love God at all is like being commanded to be well when you are sick, to sing for joy when we are dying of thirst, to run when our legs are broken. But this is the first and greatest commandment nonetheless. So what's going on here? Is it that God is simply needy or petty or insecure and lonely that he has to command us mortals to love him? Well, I believe there's something deeper, something greater going on here. First point I want to share is this. The command to love God is God loving us. God commands us to love him because we are shaped by what we love. For those of us in love with something destroying us, the most loving thing a perfect God could do is give us the opportunity to love him. I believe God commanding us to love him is him loving us. What do I mean by that? We become and we are influenced and we are shaped by the things that we love. Have you ever noticed that? You know, I, I remember, like we heard about in communion, when I first started falling in love with Amritha, she started to influence me. 
I grew up in this Sri Lankan home in Coon Rapids, Minnesota. But then I started to say things like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Where did that come from? My love of Amritha. I mean, it began to, to shape me. I, and I started to watch shows like the show Friends. I never grew up watching that show. But now I know that I'm probably Chandler. And she's probably Monica. Because love, it changes us. It impacts us. In fact, uh, when we first started dating, uh, we went to this conference in Kansas City, and uh, she said, can I straighten your hair? I have this chi. It's a really good hair straightener. So she straightened my hair, and we realized something. We had been so influenced by each other that we, in fact, had the same haircut. Let me show you a picture. This is what love does. You are influenced by what you love. You become similar to what you love. Look at that glorious hair. My goodness. And so if we are influenced and shaped by what we love, the most loving thing a perfect God could do is command us to love him so that we can be perfect, full of life, abundantly joyful by loving him. We are born worshipers. We are all born to love something. But the choice to love, it might seem beyond us. Who am I to love you, God? God, you're so on a different level than me. Could someone like me really love you? And yet God says, hey, I open the doors. I command you to love me. You don't have to be insecure. You don't have to be shy. You don't have to wonder if it's an opportunity. In fact, I demand it because it will impact you for the better. There's a quote by David Foster Wallace. He's not even a Christian. This is from a commencement speech. He was giving to a non-Christian university, but it sounds like something a pastor would say. He says, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. An outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you will worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million different deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart. You'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. You know, if you love sports, you become like one of those people that love sports. If you love pumpkin spice latte, you will end up looking like Han Solo eventually a sweater vest, and some leggings and boots. <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about? <laughs> what we love shapes us. But on the, on the very painful reality, some of us are, are lo in love with our time, with our actions, with our attention. If you looked at our calendar and you looked at our wallet, reality would set in saying, I'm, I'm in love with substances. I, I can't get through the day without alcohol or drugs. 
but we see where that goes. It destroys us because what we, we love shapes us. And I've seen so many of my friends who have ended their lives or have hit dead ends because of their love relationship with substances. They're like, I just, I don't want to do this anymore, but I, I keep on falling into this trap over and over and over and over. I wish I could get out of this relationship. But then God says, hey, I command you to love me. And he gives us a love that doesn't enslave us, but sets us free. Some of us right now are in love with pornography. We wouldn't say it like that. But when we look at our time and our attention, where the, the gaze of our eyes always ends up at, we're like, I am stuck here. I wish I didn't love this. I wish this wasn't in my system. But then God says, you don't have to love that. In fact, I command you to love me. I want to give you a love that doesn't enslave you, but sets you free. And so we see that this commandment to love him isn't because he's petty or insecure. It's not because he's selfish. It's because he's generous. This is our God. What great God we have that he would give us the opportunity to love him. It sets us free. I love this quote by the North African thinker, Augustine. He says, you move within us, speaking to God, so that to praise you is our joy. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Isn't that beautiful? That's the beauty of Jesus. Oh, I pray that you would fall in love with Jesus. But God doesn't just want us to love him in certain areas of our life. Point number two, God doesn't want us to compartmentalize our love for him. Like we've been reading, God asks us to love him with all of our heart, like Pastor Amritha so beautifully preached about last week, but also with our soul and with our strength. And right now, I want you to point to your heart. Would you just point to your heart right now? Amen. Now point to your mind. Amen. Now point to your soul. It's confusing. Some of you are pointing to your feet. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, this is uh, a mystery, right? God, I, I understand loving you with my mind to a degree. I understand loving you with my, my heart. I want you to have all of my, my passion and my affections and all my emotions. But what, what does it mean to love God with our soul? And uh, as I've studied the scriptures, I've realized it's actually the opposite of what many of us were raised in as we look in the scriptures. So in Deuteronomy 6, when Jesus says to love God with their soul, the Hebrew word here is nefesh. And this is used over 700 times in the Old Testament. And it primarily means neck. It doesn't mean this invisible force that lasts after your body dies. It means something entirely different to these biblical authors. You know, when we think of soul, we think of soul food, soul sisters, soul ties. We think that this city has no soul or this book has no soul. Uh, maybe you're like me. I think of uh, Mortal Kombat and Shang Tsung saying, your soul is mine. Amen. Anybody here? Amen. Anybody here? This, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I will preach. But what, what is biblical soul? What is the definition according to these writers? Well, let's read it. The word nephesh is found over 700 times in the Old Testament. It literally means throat. 
Just like when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, they were hungry and thirsty and missed the melons and cucumber back in Egypt. So they cried out and said, our nefesh has dried up. But it means more than just throat, since our whole life and body depend on what comes in and out of our throat. Nefesh can also refer to the whole person, like how Jacob had 33 nefesh in his family, that is 33 people. Nefesh refers to the whole person. So during the biblical times, the word soul or the concept of the spirit being trapped inside the body is unfamiliar to them. They know about that idea, but they rarely write about it. And if they do, they do not use the word nefesh. In the Bible, people don't have a nefesh. Instead, they are a nefesh, a living, breathing, physical being. Therefore, to love God with all our nefesh is to love him with all our physical existence. It is bringing devotion to the one who granted us our bodies with its amazing capacities and limitations. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't that kind of change our understanding of the soul? A lot of this information I reference from the Bible Project, and you should, you should study that for yourself. It's a great resource for studying your faith and understanding what do the original authors mean when they said this. So what does loving God with our soul mean? Here's an easy definition. Loving God with our soul means loving him with our actions as well as our intentions and affections. And so we are called to love God with the entirety of who we are. We're called to love God not just in our inside, our emotional thought reality, but with our lives, how we conduct ourselves in speech, in actions, how we uh, operate in every aspect of our lives. You know, this is why baptism is so beautiful, because we're going public and physical with what God has done internally in our lives. We say, God, you've done something beautiful in my heart, but now you've commanded me and asked that I do something physical, that I have become a physical living sacrifice. The entirety of my heart, soul, mind, strength, my life, it belongs to you. And so in our faith, maybe you've been taught, well, I can just worship God privately. I'll just worship God on Sunday, but the rest of my week belongs to him. Well, that's not how it works, because our God is a jealous God, and he demands every single part of our lives. Do you worship God with all of your soul? Does he every, have every single part of your body? And in our culture, I think we're even afraid to, to say, oh, that's too intense. That's too much of a big deal. But this is what the scripture says is the first and greatest commandment of all the commandments. I think we like to pick and choose what's important. But God says, worship me with the entirety of your body. But God, my sexuality belongs to me and me alone. God says, will you worship me with your sexuality? Oh, my finances belong to me and me alone. God says, will you worship me? Not with 90% of your finances, not 10% in the tithe of finances, but 100% of your finances. Oh, God, but my family belongs to me. I can't, I can't invest in spiritual disciplines because, you know, I got all of this going on in my family. I just don't have time for prayer and worship. I don't have time for the local church. Lord, you can have my personal relationship with you, but you can't have my family. But the scripture says he wants us to worship Worship him with the entirety of our being in our lives. How much of your soul does God have? Because it's honestly, according to the scripture, it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. That seems pretty intense. It is. 
And I've been spending my whole life trying to get there. So don't feel guilt if you're not there yet. We're all on a journey, amen? Amen. We're all on a journey. But this is why even on Sunday mornings, we aren't just trying to create hype with our worship. When we say lift up your hands, when we say sing out loud, when we say clap and make a joyful noise, it's not because of our ego. It's because the expression of our worship completes our joy in Christ. It's when love is expressed that love is most enjoyed. You know, if I, if, I, if I propose to Amritha without saying a word, not only would that be super awkward for her, it would limit the joy that I feel. Oh, telling people you love them, telling your children you love them, telling someone you date that you, you adore them or like them and get engaged and love them. Oh, it's a great joy. And some of us, we've kept our faith so spiritual because of this idea of soul. We're not experiencing the joy of worshiping Jesus as an embodied creature. Some of us have been taught that, you know, our bodies don't really matter. All that matters is our soul. But then we see that the biblical idea of soul includes our body. Some of us are just waiting for our disembodied souls to escape to heaven, and then we can worship God totally. But our faith is not insurance from hell. Our faith is not insurance from just you know, disappearing and dying, and now we can just be this disembodied spiritual ghost in heaven. No, we worship God with our bodies, the entirety of who we are. Remember, when Jesus died on the cross, he's buried, he's in the grave, his grave is in the tomb, he resurrects, and there's no body in the tomb. He took the body with him. Our bodies matter in our worship in our lives, and in our hope. And so instead of just keeping our faith, the spiritual internal experience, and just holding on until we get to eternity, why don't we worship God with the entirety of who we are right now, amen? God, your soul is mine, is what he wants to say to you. I love this quote. Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. Because he is worthy of all of our attention and our love. Amen. It's point number three. The love of God, you might be feeling, how am I going to do all this? I still don't have feelings. I'm still questioning my love of God. Well, here's the good news of the gospel. The love of God is an acquired taste. We love God because he first loved us. Don't be afraid to pray, God, help me want to want you. Amen. Why don't we just say that right now? God, help me. To want to want you. Again, God, help me to want to want you. It's okay to pray that. You know what? I used to hate olives, but now I love them. Anybody with me? Who still hates olives? Look at your neighbor and whisper without saying any words, olive juice. It looks like you're saying I love you. I used to hate coffee, but now I crave it. My soul thirsts for coffee in the morning. Anybody with me? But who used to hate it too? It it, it shows you that our tastes can be acquired. Our love can be acquired. Our our body, our heart, our brain has a, a plasticity to it. We can literally change the way we feel and the way we look at something with affection and adoration. You know, I, I, like I said in the beginning of my message, I can't force 
my daughter to love me. I've tried. I can't force those fond feelings, but I can buy her lots of ice cream. <laughs> it's true. Mama says no, and I go, this is my opportunity to win her heart. I can't force my daughter to love me, but every time she asks me to play outside, I try to say yes immediately before mom can. Why? Because I know if I lavish enough love on her, my hope is eventually she will lavish love on me. And I want to let you know, this morning, the plan started to work. She came into the bed this morning, and she said, Dad, hold me. I said, yes, I will. She said, just one minute, though. Just one minute, okay. Okay, now I'll take what I can get. You know, the good news of the gospel is this. Before you can ever love God for eternity, God has loved you. And he has been preparing your heart to love him. He's been lavishing you with love and affection and adoration. He knows your name. He has every hair on your head counted. He thinks you're beautiful. He made you on purpose for a purpose. And that's nothing you can do to earn. There's nothing you can do to lose the love of God. He loves you right now as you are. And I, I've noticed that as I recount the love and the affection and the adoration God has placed on me, my heart leaps for him. As I consider how he's forgiven me, how he's prepared things for me, how he's made a plan for me. I love this other quote by Augustine. He says, God provides the wind. All we must do is raise the sails. And it sweeps us away. God provides the wind. We can't earn that wind. We can't earn that love. It's there. And if you're not feeling adoration towards God, all we have to do is say, Lord, I want to want you. Lord, I want to love you. And so here I am with my, my sails, my hands, my heart lifted up. My attention is on you. And I pray that I would be able to receive your love so that I could give it right back to you. Freely I receive so I can freely give to you. Is that your prayer today? God, I want to love you. I may not feel it right now, but I want it so bad. You know, there's a story in Luke chapter 7 about this great display of love. And Jesus tells a story while it's happening in verse 41. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. Because Jesus was at this religious gathering, and a woman entered in. She was known as a prostitute, and she begins to wash the feet of Jesus with her tears and her hair. She breaks open an alabaster jar and, and pours this ointment on Jesus, preparing him, anointing him for burial. It's just this beautiful moment, but it's scandalous. Why are you letting this prostitute touch your feet when you're at the table of a religious gathering, a meal? And so I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to this woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you did not offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she is not kissing my feet. 
You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. You know, I go through seasons just like every one of us when I'm like, God, my heart's just not here. My body is not here. I don't, I don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel this fondness to you. But honestly, in my life, I, I think about all the people I've hurt. I think about all the destructive patterns I've fallen into. I think of all the mistakes and the, the patterns of habitual brokenness I've been. And I remember how God has loved me and saved me. I'm telling you what, every time I do that, it seems like my heart begins to soften. And my body just can't help but sing out the praises of God. And I say, Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I may not have all the most eloquent, extravagant words right now. My heart might feel far from you, but Lord, thank you for saving my soul. Lord, thank you for loving me when I didn't have the capacity for loving you back. And if you're feeling far from God, my, 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 just, my challenge for you is, would you remember how he's loved you? Would you be around people who have been saved and redeemed and freed by Jesus Christ? Would you see them respond to his extravagant love? And it's as we look and see that, Jesus, you are beautiful. As we recount our memories and the ways he has helped us and our neighbors and our family and our friends and the people in our church, I find that my heart begins to soften towards God. And those feelings of fondness and those affections, I can't help but stand up and say, Lord, you have my heart, you have my soul, you have my strength. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for all that you've done in my life. You know, honestly, it's even with this aspect that we're passionate about inviting you to Alpha. These tables of hospitality where we're a bunch of people who say, my faith isn't where I wish it was, or my love isn't where I wish it was, but just like this woman with the alabaster jar getting before Jesus around a table, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to get around the table and say, Jesus, I want to want you. Jesus, I, I have some questions that, that are honestly blocking me from loving you, but I'm willing to have the conversation. And there are people in our, in our society, in our work, our friends, our family who have just the spiritual block from engaging Jesus, but they're willing to have a conversation around a table. They're willing to share a meal. They're willing to engage with a safe place. And so that's why I'm asking, even if you love Jesus with all of your heart, would you get at this table of Alpha so that people can see the salvation of Jesus? They can see the stories and hear the stories of how God has loved all of us. For those of us who know someone, I've been sharing and trying to share the gospel, and I, I just, I can't invite them to church. They're not ready. They'll come to Alpha with you, most likely. Hey, would you be willing to share a meal with me and talk about this? Would you sign them up for Alpha? And I believe together, as a community, we can not just love God, but we can fall in love with God. I believe that God wants all of our attention, all of our hearts, and he's so good. 
And I want him to have his people loving him. Amen. And so with our hearts ablaze, with a posture of surrender, our voice, our desire as Kalos Church is, God, we want to want you. Lord, you provide the wind and we'll raise our sails to catch the wind of your love. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Would you say this with your heart? Lord, I want to love you. Lord, I want to love you. Right now, you might feel like, God, I, I just don't know how to love you. God, I don't know where I'm at. But I know loving you is the best thing that could ever happen to me. So would you help me? Would you, would you put your wind close to me so I could just, with the ounce of strength I have left, raise my arms, raise my sails just a little bit? Oh, Lord, would you put a passion in this place? Lord, would you make us more than just a social club, but lovers of Jesus? Lord, would you ignite us, ignite our lives and our hearts that we would love you entirely? Lord, you have our heart. Lord, you have our heart. May we search for yours. You know, you might be here. You can open your eyes. and You're saying, I came to church because I need a fresh start. I need Jesus. I need some hope. The good news of the gospel is God loves you. I don't believe anybody is here by accident, but God has a beautiful plan for you. But you feel like, oh, I want this relationship with God. I want to be in this great romance, this great adventure with him. And you might feel too far from God. You might feel like the hope is God gone, but the good news is God will meet you right now. All you got to say is, God, I I receive you into my heart. I want you. I, I receive your love. And so I'm going to create an opportunity for all of us to receive the love of God, to surrender our lives to him, to start a relationship with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hands in this holy moment. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads. But if that's you and you're saying, Pastor Pradeepan, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to fall in love with Jesus. If that's you, I want to surrender my life to Jesus and receive forgiveness of sins. If that's you, on the count of three, would you lift up your hand so I can see it? One, two, three. Lift your hand up. Amen. Amen. I see your hand. Is there anybody else? You're saying, I want to give. I want to give my life to God. So two hands. All right, you can put it down. And we're going to pray a prayer all together with these words on the screen. Let's pray this. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. All together, I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.